Guys, it's just a huge privilege to be here with you all and uh, just look around this room and see some folks that I've known for years. And it's, uh, it's wonderful to be with you. And uh, we are in exciting times. It's good to hear an amen. <laughs> it's good. We are in exciting times and uh, there is a change of season. And uh, so, look, I, I just want to pray. Uh, apart from anything else, it helps me get going. Um, so uh, I'm just going to pray and then, uh, and then we'll get into the word today. Father, we are so honored to be in your presence today. We love you, Jesus. We thank you for the amazing things that you do, for the wonder of your love for us. Thank you, Lord, for your great love for your church. Thank you, Lord, that you are building your church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. No matter what the circumstances of life and no matter what the proclamations of government or anything else around us, we thank you that you are the king. We thank you that you are enthroned on high. And Lord, that your kingdom is ever advancing in the earth. And Father, we're privileged to be co-workers with Christ. We just pray, Father, that you would refresh our spirits this morning. Lord, spirit, soul, and body, that you would impart faith into our hearts through your word and by your spirit as you always do. And Lord, that you would confirm your word amongst us, Father, in the gifts of your spirit. We give you glory and give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, I don't know about your own experience of the pandemic. Um, you know, I, I've actually had a remarkable two years. <laughs> I have. It's been a strange two years. It's been the only two years after 34 years of, of uh, traveling ministry that I haven't been traveling much. Uh, not much. You're not outside of England anyway. And so I've had two years in our own country. Um, but that has been a huge privilege in that I've had the joy of leading thousands and thousands of our own countrymen to the Lord, uh, which has been great, uh, you know, and whereas normally it's been thousands and thousands overseas and you know, and hundreds in the UK, but being more around the UK, we've had the joy of seeing thousands and thousands come to the Lord in the UK. And so that's been a, a great privilege. I got COVID actually, uh, you know, right at the beginning, but before they had PCR tests and all that kind of stuff, uh, I got that back in March. Um, we'd been doing a March last year and we'd been doing a, uh, an impact training over in Staffordshire. Um, and I think I probably picked it up from a, from a dear pastor uh, over there who sadly died. Um, you know, we were having a Chinese meal and I guess I, I got more than the meal. Um, but, you know, anyway, I, I came back and I really wasn't well. And, uh, I, you know, I've traveled, say, 34 years and, and on average 14, 15 countries a year. Uh, most of those, so it's been 54 countries over those years. Most we visited four or five times. Uh, you know, so I've done a lot of traveling in my life and in that process probably only been ill three times um, Only once did I need medical attention with some pills uh, to help me um, You know because myself and the Lou were having a very close relationship um, <laughs> After a certain visit to Africa, <laughs> but uh, we won't go into more detail, but uh, Anyway, but actually, uh, you know those times the Lord has healed me and I'm so grateful I've eaten things you don't want to think about uh, You know in missions and all kinds of stuff, but God's kept me and it's been good to me um, But you know, I knew in my own body. I was I was unwell and um, You know, and so I can remember coming back from uh, this time away Elaine and I were Celebrating our anniversary and I and I got back on, on the last day. I just said sweet. I really don't feel well um, 
Uh, so when we got back, I had to be isolated into my glorified shed uh, out in the back garden where, I, where I've done my podcast from and stuff like that during the pandemic. And uh, I just realized, you know, there's things, uh, there's things in our lives. We, we all live with what we tolerate. Now, I hope you, you can just take a certain balance in this. But, but I realized, that, you know, sometimes that, you know, the enemy, the, man, the enemy really ultimately is not after giving you just a difficult time. He wants to kill you. And sometimes we're so tolerant of what he brings around in our lives. We don't realize the danger attached to it. And, you know, we need to take the same sort of attitude towards colds, flus, any form of sickness and disease. And so when this thing hit me, I suddenly became aware. Of, the Lord just warned me, said, this thing is intending to, to kill you. And I, and I really, my temperature was starting to go and the cough was coming and then the tight breath, all this kind of stuff. And I thought to myself, you know, in ministry, a lot of times you're giving out of your own faith and ministering to others. Faith is like a muscle. It's something that you, that you use and that you exercise and you have to feed it. And you feed it from the word of God. And if, you know, you're constantly giving out and using your faith to others. And then you get attacked yourself. You know, the gifts that will flow through you to minister to others don't heal you. You've got to, that, that's, those gifts are for other people in ministry. So either somebody else has got to minister to that to you, or you've got to get hold of some faith yourself afresh, the faith that you live by, not just the faith that you minister by to other people. So I realized I had to get a hold of faith because faith releases the supply of the Spirit, the power of God, Galatians 5, 6. So I thought I've got to get hold of some fresh faith for myself. And so I just, uh, I hit the word. I actually, I actually went through all the healing scriptures afresh and I wrote out for myself a confession of healing and of health and of deliverance from COVID. And I started to confess it on the hour, every hour and speak it out before the Lord. And I know there, count, there comes a time in that process where you come into an encounter with the Lord and the Logos becomes the rhema and you encounter living faith and the power of the spirit that breaks the back of the sickness or, or breaks the back of that attack on your mind, your emotions or whatever. And uh, I was three days in into uh, meditating on it, praising the Lord, worshiping, fellowshipping with the Lord around it, speaking it out. And three days in, I felt the strength of that word releasing the power of the Spirit inside me. And it broke. And, and all the symptoms left. And I, I walked into Elaine and I said, I'm healed. She said, it's not yet seven days. But out you go. <laughs> God bless her. That's the thing. I got a medical wife. You see, she was a nurse. But uh, anyway, there we are. Bless her. So, uh, but it was nice having the pampering, all the food and all the rest of it. But anyway, but praise the Lord, Jesus healed me. And uh, I really do want to talk to you today about, um, about faith in the faithfulness of God. Faith in the faithfulness of God. I think this is so important and it's such an essential thing in our own lives. Because, it, you know, we've got to get hold of this. We lead out of who we are. We're in, in the terms of our own calling from God, our own relationship with God. You know, you can know all the right words to say. You're going to be in a Bible college. You can do all the rest of it. But actually, the reality of your own walk with God will come through in the words that you speak. And, in, and you know, ultimately, the sheep follow the shepherd. And, and ultimately, that's the great shepherd of the sheep. Uh, the people, you know, the people that we serve are wanting to hear the voice of the great shepherd of the yeah. sheep through us. Uh, and, and so sometimes I think, you know, if, if all our vision is imported vision from a book that we read or something else like that, but it hasn't come out of personal revelation in our relationship with God, and then we wonder why the people in our congregations don't follow, is because the sheep recognize the voice of the shepherd. 
not just something that's been imported by a book or whatever else, or the latest thing going around the body of Christ. It's so important that we hear God for ourselves. And, you know, I, this is, of course, where living faith uh, comes from in our relationship with the Lord. It's an interesting thing that in Mark chapter 11, after Jesus has cursed the fig tree, uh, you know, I, I always think it had a bit of an unfair dude, didn't it, really? Um, you know, but nonetheless, Jesus cursed the fig tree is Mark chapter 11. Verse 12 to 14 is where he curses it. And then we find around verse 20 that they're passing by that same place the next day. And, uh, and Peter says, look, Lord, the fig tree that you cursed, um, you know, is dead. And of course, it, it died from the roots. So in the unseen realm before then it manifested. And so, you know, Jesus has, has spoken the word to it and said, no man will eat fruit from you from this moment going forward. And, you know, the next day they see that that's, that's fulfilled. And Jesus says, Lord, look, it's, uh, it's withered, it's died. And Jesus says, have faith in God. Now, this is Jesus' teaching on faith. Truly, truly, I say, he says, have faith in God. He says, for truly, I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea and shall not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, he will have whatever he says. I want to ask you today, what are you believing? What are you saying in this day? And what are you believing? I could just use the words of Jesus and say, where is your faith? Now, we know the way that Jesus used that phrase when he was basically rebuking the unbelief of the disciples and said, where is your faith? But I want to, ask, I want to apply it in a different way right now. Because really, whether you are in fear or whether you're in faith for something, you're in faith about something. Yes. Because fear is believing something. Yes. Somebody once said that, you know, fear is, is having more faith in Satan to harm you than in God to protect you. Right. So it's really important where you're putting your faith. And you know where your faith is because it comes out of your mouth. Yes. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And the word to confess, you know, a lot, a lot of theologians say it just means to, to say the same thing or to agree. Well, that's true, but actually the context of it, it comes from the Greek legal system, and it meant to sign a contract, but to do so verbally. We do have to be careful about what we're saying with our mouths. And, and therefore, actually, of course, according to James in James 3, we are steering the course of our lives by the words that we're speaking, and especially where you're applying your own faith to it. You know, there's a difference between trying to believe something and what you really believe. Yeah. Yes. I say to my teams when I take them out to Africa and other places, and maybe some of them go out into some of the rougher areas, and they say, John, what shall we eat or what should we do? I always say, listen, let me give you a bit of advice I got from an old missionary years ago. When you go out and you're eating with the nationals out in the villages, whatever you've got peace in your heart to eat, that's what you really believe. Yeah. You can eat anything. But if you're just trying to believe, but you're really anxious about what you're about to believe, of what you're about to eat, you're not actually in faith about it. You're just trying to believe, don't eat it. Yeah. Because if you do that, well, you'll likely get sick. As the missionary said, as long as we are in peace about what we're eating, that's living relational faith. And when I would eat of that, no matter what I ate, nothing touched me. But when I was really actually in fear, but I was just trying to believe, then I inevitably got sick. This is the thing is, you, you know, it's really important that we guard what we are saying 
with our lips. And actually, if we can't say something in faith, out of genuine relational faith that's been birthed in our heart, in our relationship with God, it is better that we keep our mouth shut before we release something over our lives or release something over our congregations and cause them to go down a course of fear instead of a course of faith. Because one way or another, they're going to be believing something, and whatever they're believing is going to bear the fruit of what they're believing. Amen? So I I, I believe the Lord just wants to speak to us afresh about this. It's an interesting thing that, um, you know, uh, when Jesus actually said, have faith in God. I heard Roger Forster say this years ago. Now, you may or may not be aware that Roger Forster is still, even in his late 70s now, he's still the primary uh, theological advisory for the Evangelical Alliance. A lot of the things that he used to teach years ago, some people felt were about out there, but it's all come in center nowadays. He's, he's brilliant in all the languages of the Bible. He taught all of his kids to understand Greek from when they were young kids. He said because he wanted them to know the truth. He's a remarkable character. And, uh, and I can remember uh, being in a meeting with him where he was teaching on the subject of faith. And he said, it's really interesting. He says, when Jesus said, have faith in God, the Greek is a double-barreled word. And he said, which is why actually, he said, the King James Version of the Bible got it the most accurate. It's not the most accurate necessarily over everything. It's very accurate. But he said, it's actually the most accurate at this point because it said, have the faith of God. He said, it's not actually totally accurate, but it's the most accurate in English. He says, because really it's a double barrel phrase and it would best be communicated this way. Have faith in the faithfulness of God. He said, that's important because otherwise we go by our emotions or we go by whether we feel one day maybe we feel we're full of faith about something. And maybe the next day we don't feel particularly full of faith about something that we're going for. But actually it's not about having faith in our faith, but having faith in the one who is constantly faithful and his word that comes from him. Ultimately, the thing is, if you don't have faith in the person who's given the word, then their word won't mean much to you. So have faith in the faithfulness of God. God is standing behind his word. Amen. Amen. And he is constantly true to everything he said. You know, uh, this is so, so important in the way that faith affects us. Uh, You know, in so many ways, the message I want to share with us today is about how to posture our hearts uh, from where we are right now on the way to where we're going. Because I do believe that God is taking us into a new season. It's a season of acceleration. It's a season of harvest. And now is the time to get ready. If you've not taken the pandemic to really get your heart ready for what is coming, you need to accelerate in your getting ready now. Because there is a lot of harvest that is on its way to us. And some of us are still bearing weariness from what we've been through. And we need to exchange what we've been walking through uh, to, to reposture ourselves ready for what God is going to do in us and through us in this coming season. And so this is really about posturing our heart right. And what we believe is so important. You know Numbers 13 and 14, when the spies is a classic, uh, you know, classic teaching, classic reference where faith is concerned. But when the 12 spies come back from the promised land, we know that only two of the 12 came back with a positive report of faith. But of course, the other 10 came back with a negative report of unbelief. It was all right when they were just communicating the facts of what they saw, because that's what Moses asked for. But when they began to say, in the light of what we see with our eyes, we cannot do it, when God said they could, 
Well, it's at that point God said it's an evil report of unbelief. And it's, uh, it, it's so important that we see the effect of that on them, the effect of, the, the, uh, on, of that report on the people themselves that they were leading. The Bible says, when they heard the report, they lifted up their voices and wept all night. So their anxiety, unbelief leads to anxiety. The word anxiety in, in the Hebrew language literally means to divide the mind. So it makes you really understand then what Proverbs says, which says anxiety in the heart of a man causes depression. But a good word makes it glad. Because the way that anxiety works is, well, what if this? But what if that? What if this happens? What if that? And it causes internal emotional exhaustion, which we call depression. And so this is the thing. When they got their eyes off God and off his promises, it caused unbelief that caused anxiety, leads into depression. And then they start speaking things. They say, why have you led us into this wilderness that we and our children should die? And then that starts to lead them. They start prophesying their own death. They start speaking all that, which of course ends up happening. Then they start rebelling against leadership and start saying, let's appoint some leaders to take us back to Egypt where we came from. And everything starts going wrong from wrong believing. So it's vital that we believe what God is saying to us in this day, what his word says, what he says, who he is, what he's done for us in the cross and his resurrection. The pandemic has not changed the power of the finished work of Christ. It has not changed the promises of God. We need to have right believing so we have right acting and right leadership that will produce the right fruit that we're looking for. Amen? Okay, so all of this is about guarding our hearts and moving forward in faith. Hebrews chapter 12, 1 and 2. I wonder if you could turn there with me for a moment. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. And then have your finger in, uh, in Matthew 14. We'll look at a number of scriptures here. Therefore, since we are encompassed with such a great cloud of witnesses, I love the NLT at this point, that says since we are encompassed with such a great cloud of witnesses to the life of faith. He's referring to all of those in Hebrews 11. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin that so easily entangles us. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Let us look to Jesus, the author and finisher. Let's fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Amen. Amen. This is a race that we've been called to. And it's not a sprint, of course. It's a, it's a marathon. It's a long race. I was never very good at, at, at uh, you know, marathons. And, and uh, you know, when I was at school, we had all the sprinting and the athletic side of things. I was good at that. I, I was a sprinter. I enjoyed that. Uh, you know, I was always on the wing in rugby and all of that. Kind of, you wouldn't believe it nowadays. But anyway, in those days, I was. And, uh, you know, I hated having to do cross-country, five miles and all of that. It all seemed so pointless because I couldn't see the end of the race. Uh, you know, I, I like looking at that finishing line and going for it, you know. And, um, well, but I, I learned a few things about, you know, through the years, in those years at school when we used to have to do all those running and all, all that, those races. 
I learned about how important it is of how you start well. That's really important. And, and in many ways, we can say today that's our believing, that's our repentance, that's our confession. Of course, in the Christian life, we can say baptism and water, baptism in the Spirit, as well as repentance and faith and, and all of that. But then, you know, it's also important that when we run the race, we don't run, you know, we don't run kind of running it looking like this, looking to the people around us all the time. Because if you start comparing yourself with others, you can either get full of pride because you're ahead of somebody else, or you can get discouraged and condemned because you're behind somebody else. You know, you can start looking at somebody who's doing better in the ministry, supposedly better, uh, you know, doing what God's called them to do, and you can compare yourself with them. And Paul said, if you do that, you're not wise. And you can start feeling like, oh, no, I'm, I'm not any good. There's no point. You drop out the race. Well, that's not going to help you at all, is it? Or you can look behind you and think, oh, if they only knew then had the revelation I have, you know, and then start to fall into pride and, and get knocked out the race. The important thing is to keep your eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of the race. Keep your eyes on the prize, as it were, on that finishing line and stay strong and stay faithful and run towards that. So that's really important. And interesting, of course, that faith must have a focus to function. From a leadership perspective, this is so fundamental. We know, of course, the scripture in Proverbs 28, I believe it is. You know, without vision, without prophetic vision, the people perish. How true that is. You know, um, Rick Renner, I really recommend him to you. Uh, you know, he is a, a, an authority in Greek, um, particularly in the States, I recommend his, his devotional book to you, Sparkling Gems, 365 Greek Word Studies. It sounds a bit heavy, but it really isn't. It's really faith-building stuff. But, you know, he makes this comment about the Greek word for faith, pistis. And he says this, if you're going to talk about trust in a general sense, I'm trusting, just generally trusting the faithfulness of God over my life, my ministry, etc. You have to use a different word than the word for faith. In, in New Testament Greek. He said the word for faith in New Testament Greek, pistis, probably would be best described in English words as this way, its attitude anyway, it meant to aggressively lay hold of a predetermined focus. He said if you don't have a clear focus that you're releasing your faith towards, you cannot use the word faith. He says, faith in the New Testament always has a focus, something to go for, something you're believing in, something you're headed towards, something, and you know, I thought to myself, when I first read that, I thought to myself, do you know, it's a, have you, do you ever read things like that where suddenly it's like, a, it's like a moment where you think, wow, that's amazing, I knew that, but I didn't know it from the Greek, I just knew it by the Spirit within. The Spirit of God taught me that. And I certainly I knew in my own ministry and my own life over the years that actually I... I function that way. I'm focused for something. At the beginning of every year, I'm prayerfully receiving in faith even numbers of people that I'm believing for to be saved in our ministry. The kinds of miracles I'm believing for. The number of new churches I'm believing to see planted out of our ministry. All those things. I focus in faith the amount of cash I'm believing to come through the ministry. The addition of new partners. I, I bring it out. I write it down. And then throughout every week, most days, I'm speaking those out before the Father, praying them. And then along as I'm walking through that year, he suddenly he opens up doors or he suddenly prompts me to do X, Y, and Z. And as I obey, then the answer to those prayers comes into manifestation. But it's all the external is coming into manifestation through what's going on in the secret place. But it's important, therefore, if I don't know where I'm going and set the vision and focus, well, then the guys following me don't have anything to come into, into that slipstream of vision. 
So it's really important that we have that clear. But he is the author. And thank God he's the perfecter of our faith. Aren't you glad he is? He began a good work in us. We'll bring it to completion. Glory to God. Faith is all about focus. And recognizing God's word is the final authority in any situation. You know, when Jesus said, let's go over to the other side, he always did what he saw the Father doing. And so when he said, let's go over to the other side, he wasn't moved by the storm that took place in the process. Very often there's a storm that comes to challenge you, you know, as you're going forward in that process, of course, because the enemy's trying to get you to drop the ball, wants you to drop your faith and to drop your focus. And that's the worst thing to do in that moment. And so I want to encourage you, if during this whole time you have dropped your believing, dropped your focus, I want to encourage you to pick it up again. And to start running forward again in the cause of Christ. He knew the final outcome. Faith always proclaims the final outcome. The promises of God as being the final outcome before we see it or before we feel it. Let's look together for a moment about uh, uh, Jesus' teaching. In Matthew chapter 14 is a powerful example of this. We're very familiar with it. But Jesus has just finished feeding the 5,000. And we're going to look at Matthew 14, starting verse 22. And I want to read through to verse uh, 36. Thank you, Lord. And talk a little bit more about faith. I've got a a number of different things I want to share with us this morning. But actually, this is really uh, important, this thing about faith, as we go into the beginning of this year. Then Jesus commanded his disciples to get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side while he sent the crowds away. When he sent the crowds away, now notice this. He went up into a mountain by himself to pray. Now, just look at this for a moment. He is sending the disciples over to the other side, but he is then going to continue his mission on the other side of the lake. We know that so, because after the whole passage of him walking on water and all of that, we find then that he comes to the region of the gatherings and he ends up just ministering there and the demons cast out, the sick healed and, and the proclamation of the kingdom all continues on the other side. As Jesus is going from town to town and village to village throughout Israel, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, teaching, you know, in their synagogues and wearing signs and wonders as is his modus operandi on his way ultimately to Jerusalem. But here we see that as he's doing this, he sent the disciples and they are in a process of transition. But the beautiful thing is, is that as he sends them, he then goes up into the mountains, up to the hills, and he prays. I want us to know today to take this to heart. Jesus' intercession is overseeing yours and my transition. I want to encourage us with that today. I take it for myself, take it for yourself. Christ's intercession is overseeing your transition. It's wonderful to have other brothers and sisters pray for you. We all need to be praying for one another on a regular basis. But this is the thing that our prayers release the supply of the Spirit. Paul said that. You know, in in Philippians, I think it's a beautiful passage where he says, knowing I know this, that through your prayers and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will work out for my deliverance. And so, you know, as we pray for one another, releases the supply of the Spirit in our lives and through our lives uh, to work out the work of God in our lives. 
But you know, it's wonderful despite all of that. It's great to know, isn't it, that Jesus is praying for you and me. Jesus is going to get us where he wants us to go. Just keep listening. Keep in with him in there in prayer. And keep obeying. Keep saying yes to Jesus. And keep moving forward in obedience to him. But it goes on and it says, But the boat was now in, uh, in the middle of the sea, tossed by the waves, for the wind was turbulent. During the fourth watch of the night, I, I just had a look up. Uh, you know, following good old Google, uh, checked out where, when is the fourth watch of night? It's actually between three to six o'clock in the morning. It's the darkest time of night. It says, during the watch, the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, it is a spirit, and they cried out in fear. Do you know it's so important to keep the faith-filled mindset um, there was at that time in Israel, so I've heard, that uh, amongst fishermen, there was a belief that if you saw something like a spirit, a ghost, you know, walking on the sea, it was a sign that you were all going to die. <laughs> and so here they are, and they see Jesus walking there on these this rough waters, and they cry out in fear because they, they're afraid for their lives. They think they're going to die. But at that moment, Jesus immediately speaks to them saying, Be of good cheer. It is I. Do not be afraid. We need to be assured of the presence of Jesus with us and rejoice in him and turn from fear to faith. Amen? Keep the posture of our heart in faith. Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it is you, bid me to come to you on the water. And he said, Come. Now, I just want to linger for a moment around this phrase. I think, I've always thought through the years, this is a, a remarkable response from Peter, don't you think? Yeah. I think, what on this earth made Peter say, Lord, if it's you, when Jesus has just announced it's him, Lord, if it is you, tell me to come to you on the water. Jesus has announced to him that he says, I am here, cheer up, don't be afraid. We know later on, actually, that it's only after he stepped out the boat and he's walked towards Jesus, taking his eyes off Jesus, he starts to sing. And then Jesus challenges him and says, why did you doubt? And that actually wasn't about the first step when he asked the question. It was actually about him taking his eyes off Jesus in the process as he walks towards him. But why does he ask Jesus, if it is you, tell me to come and walk on the water with you? I'm just meditating over this this morning. It really struck me about the way that Peter was trained. The training of Jesus to his disciples was he was always inviting them into the impossible. He was always inviting them to do what he did. His leadership is that he would do it and then say, now follow me, do it, do it with me, then do it yourself. That's his whole pattern. That's That's what Peter recognized. That's the way he was trained. That's what he saw. He was following Jesus in the pattern of the miraculous. Jesus was constantly doing the naturally impossible. This is, how, this is, the, this is what he recognized. This is the characteristics of Christ's leadership. So when Jesus said, it's me, he answers back in a relational faith. And he says to him, Lord, if it is you, Basically, he's wanting to recognize, he can recognize Jesus because if this is the Jesus he has followed already these years, if it's the real Jesus, 
He knows the characteristics of Jesus' leadership, of who he is and what he's about, because he will invite him into the impossible to do what he's doing. And I just want to say something to you. Know, it's so important that we recognize if there is nothing impossible about what we are doing in Christian life and ministry, it is questionable whether what we are doing is really the work of Christ in the kingdom of God. Because he is consistently inviting us into the impossible where he demonstrates his glory and power that men and women in this world would know that is the hand of God. That is the kingdom of God. If all it is is that we help the poor, we love one another and do everything else, you know, loving one another, by the way, of course, is a supernatural thing with the love of God. Is it not? Jesus said, by this the world will know that you're my disciples because you love one another. But that's really, really important. And I would say that a lot of times there are people who are not getting saved when they look at us in our love for one another. Because quite frankly, a lot of times we don't express the love of God to one another. We express natural love. Jesus said, if you only love those who love you, do good to those who do good to you, you're no better than the tax collectors and the sinners. The the thing that marks us out as a supernaturally loving community is that we want to spend time with people we don't naturally connect with. That we love people who we wouldn't normally choose to spend time with. I know that does, I know that grates the natural man. Of course it does. But the fact about it is, is that our communities are meant to be marked by a supernatural love that marks us out differently. Well, why else just being kind to other people just temporarily, but it never costing us much, or actually us not choosing to build with others we wouldn't otherwise naturally connect with? There has to be something more than that. Supernatural love in the kingdom of God. But it is about the impossible, and Jesus is inviting us into that. When Peter got out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus, but when he saw the strong wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus reached out his hand and caught him and said to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceases. It's lovely. I, I had a, a friend of mine who's particularly uh, strong in the original languages. He says when Jesus says little faith, he doesn't mean he doesn't have faith. He's got faith. He says it's better described as, oh, you have undeveloped faith. He's growing in faith. But in that moment, he takes his eyes off Jesus and he hasn't yet learned to keep his eyes off the circumstances and keep them on the Lord. And so he starts to sink. And so it's so important that these times we keep our eyes on the Lord. The amazing thing is when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. Then those who were in the boat came and worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. Of course, encounters with Jesus deepen and mature our faith and cause us to grow in worship and in the presence of God, in the power and in the faithfulness of God. When they crossed over, they came to the land of Gennesaret. It's not the gathering, sorry, Gennesaret. When the men of that place recognized him, they sent word to all the surrounding country and brought him all who were sick and begged him that they might only touch a hem of his garment. As many as touched it were made perfectly well. You know, guys, I just believe God is taking us into a whole new season where we are going to see a demonstration of God's power and of his glory amongst us, the like of which, we, the like of which perhaps we haven't seen for a long time. I believe that with all of my heart. But it's so important that we posture our hearts in faith and we move out from the place of self-preservation into the place of of pioneering faith afresh in our hearts and trust God to do what he has promised. 
You know, I believe the Lord is knocking again on the door of the church, uh, wanting us again to be fully surrendered afresh. I'm going to come back to that in a moment. You may want to have your finger in Revelation 3.20. We're going to pop over there in a moment. But let me just say something just very briefly here about, um, about faith, faith that we live by and the gift of faith and the importance of understanding the difference here. Because I believe we're going to be, it's so important that we are established in the faith to live by, but we also recognize the moments and the seasons where God's own special faith is suddenly released into us for certain circumstances that are beyond the level of our normal faith. So you know this faith to live by, I talked about how the Lord healed me uh, at the beginning of the pandemic from COVID. I want to talk to you briefly now about faith for provision as well, because this is so important, especially at this time for us, both personally and in ministry as well, and in our churches. It's so fundamental that we don't, because it's easy in ministry to slip from starting off in faith in the Lord as being our provider, to start having faith in the number of people we have signed up to partner with a ministry or to sign up to be tithers and givers in a church. And so that actually we start then, instead of obeying and seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, knowing that he promised that all these other things would be added to us, we start limiting what we're doing in the kingdom now based upon what's in the accounts. Whereas we actually started off in faith, pursuing the kingdom of God and trusting him to supply. And actually no longer are we leading from faith, we're leading from the accounts. And therefore we're not leading. Not in Jesus' leadership. Leading by means of a council, you can get all of that, all of that stuff as you can from a lot of Christian leadership conferences, can I just say, so much of it, I could pick up everything from Leadership for Dummies 101 from W.H. Smith. Seriously. Because most of it is imported from management teaching in the world. But it's a lot of it is not management as Jesus, as management and leadership as Jesus taught it. And Jesus demonstrated Really, really important. For, I mean, simple things. Which like, he didn't tell us. Oh, there's, oh I won't go there. Let, let, I'll get distracted. Let, let me just move into this. But I want, to, I want to focus on this about faith. This is really important about us coming back to the basics of faith. When I first started off in the ministry, and I, I can remember, I, I was so blessed to live, to be trained under Don. Don, Don Double, he really lived what he preached. The number of times we would come back in my travels with him, I lived with him and Heather for three years. And sometimes, you know, not everybody in his team was in the same place of faith as he was. And so sometimes we'd get back from a mission and we, we would sit up with a bit of cheese and biscuits late at night. I don't recommend that all the time. But not, and we would sit there, we'd be talking and he, had, he would have some bills coming through the next morning or a tax bill for thousands. And he would sit there and he would just laugh and he would look at me and say, John, I've given away my offering again. He said, there's these different ones in the team who are in need and I just can't see them you know, go without. So I've given that away, but you know, and I got a tax book over thousands. Tomorrow morning, I don't have anything for it, but praise the Lord Jehovah Jireh. <laughs> and then sure enough, a check would turn up through the post from some obscure country the next morning and would pay the tax bill. And he lived that way. I'm still self-employed after all these years. I'm not, I'm not employed by Mission 24. So all, all this year, but we do pay, you know, guys who, who work with us and all the rest of it. But here's the thing is, you know, and I've lived that way for years. I can remember when I first started, though. I was 19 years old. I remember when I first got my own place and, and the first gas bill came through. It was when I realized I wasn't on my dad's income. <laughs> 
And, and, and I can remember getting a gas bill for 46 pounds. I remember like it was yesterday, 46 pounds and 21 pence. It, it, you know, it doesn't sound a lot of money, but when you don't have it, it might as well be 4,000, you know. But I can remember I just put into principle the things I'd been taught for years. And for 10 days, every day, I, I, I paced up and down the lounge where I was living and I prayed. I said, Father, I thank you. But you are my provider. You promised to meet all of my needs. And I believe I received 46 pounds and 21 pence. I put the bill on the ground there. And every day I walked up and down, I said, I thank you for it. I have it in Jesus' name. And I praise you for it, Lord, in the name of Jesus. I did that every day for 10 days. Ten days later, an envelope came through the post, and it was from a girl from the youth group from the church that sent me out. And I remember opening up, and it said this inside. It said, Dear Johnny, they all knew me as Johnny. And they said, Dear Johnny, I hope this makes sense to you, but I was praying for you this week, and the Holy Spirit told me to send this to you. When I opened it, there was a check for 46 pounds and 21 pence. Today, the ministry, you know, costs me every year hundreds of thousands of pounds for all the missions I have to believe for. But the thing about it is, is that, you know, and every year, I, you know, I agree to things, to do things by faith that I don't have any money for. But I think back 46 pounds, 21 pence. And what's the difference? You know, ultimately, the Lord's our supplier, not the number of partners or the rest of it. And so I just agree, as long as I've got peace in my spirit, then I know there's a living faith there, and then I start to press out. And if, as long as I've got that peace and that inner witness, I may need to grow my faith in the process before the provision manifests, but I know along the journey my faith will grow to receive, and I step in, and then it all comes. One time in Canada, the Lord told me to do that and give away my entire offering after three weeks of ministry. Uh, you know, and, and uh, because there was another guy working with me who had nothing, and at least I had the money to pay for the flights over. And, and so I was believing God I needed two and a half thousand pounds to pay for the bills at, to cover at home. And I, I gave the money away to this guy, and then uh, I was just trusting the Lord. I thought, well, it's been the biggest seed I've sown for a while. And, uh, you know, and um, so I gave it away. When I got back, I found a check that was on the that was waiting on the doorstep, I opened it, and it was from my pastor. And, and, in, and inside it said two and a half thousand pounds, and it met all my needs. And so I, I, I phoned him up and said, Dave, what's all this about? And he said to me, well, John, he said, you may well ask. He said, but while you were in Canada, I was at Rodney Howard Brown's conference in the States. And he said in, a, in, in one of the sessions, um, you know, at the end of the worship, before his preaching, he said, go and meet somebody around the, around the, you know, the, the building. There were 5,000 people, and just pray for them or bless them. He said this six foot five Texan businessman walked over to me from the other side of the hall and said to me, do you know a man by the name of Jonathan Conrath, C-O-N-R-A-T-H-E? He said, I do, but what did it mean to you? He said, well, I don't know the man, but I was over there and in the worship, the Holy Spirit said to me, write out a check in English sterling for two and a half thousand pounds to the name of a man called Jonathan Conrath, C-O-N-R-A-T-H-E. He said, Lord, I don't know the man. He said, I know you don't, but that man over there does. Go and give it to him. So I, I got back from Canada and when we looked at our diaries, it was exactly the day I gave away my offering that God sent a man I've never met to this day from Texas to meet my pastor in another nation and bring that gift back to me to meet my need there. God knows my name. God knows your name. So as we move into this year of increase, as we move into this year of upgrade, 
and this year of expansion, all of that starts by faith growing and developing in our hearts before it manifests out here. And are we going to advance believing the promise of God or are we going to just look at the accounts and shrivel what God wants to do through us? So brothers and sisters, this is a time for believing. But there will be other times where the Spirit will just suddenly fall on you. And suddenly drop faith into you. And that's the gift of faith. 1 Corinthians 12, 9. Where God gives a portion of his faith into your heart for a moment to see that happen. I've seen the dead raised that way. That happened to me down in Westminster of all places. Where a woman dropped dead in one of my meetings. Please don't do it today. But she did. She dropped dead in the meeting. And I can remember you know, on my way, walking out to have some pizza with the team in between. And she died in the middle of my message. I didn't think it was that bad. But anyway, she, but she did and she died. And, and, and I preached on for another hour and a half and ministering to these Danish leaders. And then, you know, I'm on my way out and they're all gathered around this body. She's been there for an hour and a half. She's blue and I don't mean to be rude, but the stuff coming out both ends. And one of the guys medically trained and, and he's taking a pulse. There's nothing there. She's gone. You know, I'm walking out, and, and he suddenly turns to me and says, John, can you help us? I said, uh, sure, what's the problem? He says, she's not with us. I said, what do you mean she's not with us? He said, she's not here. You know, we use these phrases, right? And, and then finally I said, John, she's dead. I said, oh, we better do something. So I went so I, 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 I to step over her, and I suddenly was filled with the gift of faith and heard myself say, I didn't think about it. I just came straight out of my mouth. Death, I rebuke you. Come out, leave her in Jesus' name. Receive life in the name of Jesus. Suddenly, suddenly her breath suddenly came back in. Her lungs start going. Suddenly colors comes back into her face. You know, her eyes start going. She suddenly coughs several times and, and opens her eyes and sits up. And then says, what am I doing here? You know, she, she's raised. I don't remember saying this, but the Danish pastor said, we were all struck with awe. We've suddenly seen someone raised up in front of us. And he said, and you just turned and said, they are good as new. Praise the Lord. And walked off <laughs> and said, let's go and have some pizza. But the honest truth is, none of us can take any credit for anything God does through us. It was the grace of God at that moment. But, the, but Wigglesworth used to say, we push out the boundaries to as far as our faith can go. And then his faith will meet us there. So the Lord is calling us to be people of faith. I want to just move on for a moment and say, let's look in and choose faith over fear. Let's believe the truth. Let's delight ourselves in God's word. Psalm 112 says, blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who delights himself in his commandments, in his revealed lifestyle. His heart is established. He does not fear evil tidings. He trusts in the Lord. This is all about faith-filled leadership born out of focus on God and his promises. It really is faith to live by. Glory to God. So it's time to look in. The kingdom of God is in here, isn't it? The biggest danger for us all in life and in leadership as believers is when we look at the circumstances around us or what others are saying, sometimes even other believers, and dare I say even some other leaders, sometimes some very good leaders, but don't, who, don't, who may not necessarily speak in faith in that given circumstance. doesn't mean they're not great leaders in other areas, 
But you know, you live by your faith ultimately. You don't live by somebody else's faith. You live by your faith. And it's really important, therefore, that, that you that you relate to living faith that you receive from God in your own walk with God and in faith in the word. You don't know what somebody else truly believes. But you know what you believe. And sometimes I listen to some leaders and they're saying something and they think it's prophetic. Maybe it is for them. But I listen to them and I think to myself, no, I don't receive that. Because not all prophecy is, is, is determined in the sense that, you know, it's a gunshot wedding and this is the, the way it's going to happen. Paul said to Agabus, basically, Look, why do you, and to the guys around, why do you trouble me with this? I'm prepared to go up to Jerusalem to die in Jerusalem if it's the will of the Lord. It's really important to understand that. You've got to live by your own faith, ultimately. And the prophecy still should not direct you, but should confirm what God is saying to you in your own relationship with God and should always be subject to Scripture, of course. Fundamentals. But these things are really important for us. You've got to live that way, you know, because some people prophesy out of a mix of their own fear and their own faith. Because people prophesy, you know, from wherever they're at. That's why we have to judge prophecy. But it's so important that we look in the kingdom of God is within you, Jesus said. So the rule and the reign of God, you know, is inside of you. You've got to learn to live with that. But if you allow the fears of the world and sometimes even the testimony of other believers that is not based on faith in his word to get inside your spirit, even some Christian books, dare I say. So I don't mean to be offensive, but some that I would throw into the bonfire. Because they're not, they're not subject to Scripture, some of them. And some of them create fear and unbelief rather than faith. Or they're just based on, you know, Paul said there is the natural man, there's the carnal man, and there's the spiritual man. And there are many believers, sometimes even leaders, who speak from the natural man, not from the spiritual man. The natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God because they are foolishness to him. If the things you're doing in faith don't look foolish to somebody... It's probably not God. <laughs> it's going to look foolish to somebody. It will. So it's important that we look in and choose faith over fear. It's important that we look up and align our lives afresh. Some of us today, let me tell you, I, I was ministering a couple of nights ago in a Christian rehab center where there were a whole bunch of guys who were um, four, four of the guys that just fresh out of prison. Four of them gave their lives to the Lord and were baptized in the Spirit. Now, there's only 25 of the guys there. And uh, three of them had this word of knowledge about suicide. And that over Christmas, some of them had slipped back into old ways and felt that the Lord would forsake them because of their behavior. But the Lord will not leave you and he will not forsake you. And so three of the guys, including one of the leaders, raised their hand and said, it's me. And because they were contemplating suicide over Christmas because of their own failures and sense of guilt. Incidentally, can I just say, and I'm not asking for a public response here, but at three o'clock this morning, I don't know why it's always three o'clock, <laughs> but three o'clock this morning, the Lord woke me up and I knew it was the Lord. There are two people here today who actually, over recent times, have just contemplated giving up what you're doing because the pressure has got to you and actually have even contemplated thinking of taking your own life. You are here. I know this is a faithful environment. 
And I know it's leaders, but leaders are people. People who've been called by God to do what they do. But we're all brothers and sisters before we're leaders. And we need one another. So I just want to say this. I'm not asking for a public response. But I am saying if that's you and you're struggling, please don't leave without asking for prayer. Ask someone. You can ask me. You can ask Jared. Ask some of the other guys. There are some guys that you trust here. And just don't walk out of here carrying that. You don't have to be Tarzan. You don't have to be Superman. You don't have to be... Just come and be honest and open up your heart. And let's pray. Amen? You see God set you free from that. But you know, the Lord just wants to bring release. And, and you know, I saw amongst some of these guys that actually in the midst of their tiredness, you know, and, and all that they'd been going through, that some of them, some of the moral stuff had, had slipped. Some of, the, um, some of the believing stuff had slipped. Some of the stuff coming out their mouth had slipped. And you know, um, 2 Timothy, can I just, my gold kinds of things falling out in my notes here. We are. 2 Timothy 2.20. These are just a couple of scriptures that I felt I needed to share with you. In a moment, I want to pray for us. And I know the time's getting on, but we've got to one, and I do want us to pray. But I just felt I needed to share these things with you. So, look, here's 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy 2.20. It's a scripture we're familiar with, but let's look at this for a minute. He says this. Verse 19, Paul writing to Timothy. But the firm foundation of God stands, having this seal, the Lord knows those who are his. And let everyone who calls, everyone who calls on the name of Christ, depart from iniquity. It is an expectation as believers that we should depart from iniquity. I think that there's a danger in our current churches, and I'm just speaking across the board now, in the UK, that the message of grace is becoming desperately slushy. And there's a real danger in it. There is a real danger in it. Jesus said, because of lawlessness, the love of many will wane, will grow cold, Many will fall away, coming towards the end. He says, because of lawlessness. Did you notice why? Not because of legalism. The church today is terrified of legalism. We should be terrified of lawlessness. The sign of the end time church is not legalism, brothers and sisters. It's lawlessness. Jude talks, addresses the very issue, says, where the people, there are people who are turning the teaching of the grace of God into licentiousness. That is the issue of the end time church, not legalism. And many churches are falling into it. We have youth leaders, and I know this for fact, who will not touch homosexuality because they're terrified. They will, they have youth leaders who are committing fornication, but nobody will address it. Pornography is rife. Let me just tell you something. My brother is one of the top lawyers in this country and does most of the cases for the Christian Institute. He does others. He has chosen not to work primarily for a, uh, for a Christian solicitor's firm because he says the government will see him coming. 
That's wise. But he was part of, he isn't right now, but he was part, a couple of years ago, he was part of Hillsong's. And Hillsong's Croydon got in trouble with the LGBT brigade. Because when Brian Houston came out clear, because he wasn't at first, but then he came out clear about the homosexual issue, when he did that, some of the LGBT activists in Croydon had, you know, got in touch with the local council and had a go at Hillsong's Croydon and saying that they were being haters and all of this kind of stuff. So the council phoned them up for a, for a meeting. Now, as it happened, the youth leader there had asked my brother to mentor him at that time. So, when, so he just told Paul what was happening. So then Paul just, and I'm only sharing with you because my brother has asked me to, to share this with pastors wherever he goes, wherever I go. So, you know, Paul just said to him, please ask the pastors if I can be in on that meeting. He said, sure. Well, he came into the meeting, and there they were with the table and chairs and all the rest of it. There were the pastors of Hillsong, Hillsong Croydon, and here, were the, um, here was the local council. And they were berating them and having a go. So you can no longer use the Fairfield Halls. I, I know I'm from that area. It's the largest council building. It takes a thousand or so people. And I said, you can no longer use this and we're going to come heavy against you and do all of this kind of stuff because you're being this LGBT stuff. At that moment, Paul raised his hand and said, um, do you mind if I just say something? They said, who are you? He said, I'm a human rights lawyer. He said, I just want you, you to know this. He said, the right of the church in this country to uphold what the Bible clearly states, that homosexuality is a sin, is upheld by the highest court in this country. Not the Royal Courts of Justice, not Parliament, but by the Supreme Court. Three times this has been brought now to the Supreme Court, and the LGBT stance has been thrown out. And the position of the church to uphold the scriptures that homosexuality is sin and is wrong, he says, has been upheld. So he said, basically, he said at that moment, he said it was fun to watch them backpedal so fast <laughs> and send an apology to Hillsongs. My brother just then said to me, he said, John, wherever you go, please tell the leaders this, that if they fluff it over the LGBT issue, doesn't mean, listen, let's get it right. We must hate the sin, but love the people. But here is the thing. If we don't speak clearly, we are failing the next generation, and the generations to come. We must take a clear biblical stand. And so he said, tell the leaders this. If they fluff it just under the name of love, he says, they will be taken down by the courts. But if they say, the Bible says, you must take, I always teach our own evangelists out in the streets, never tell them your opinion. They want your opinion because they can take you to court for your opinion. What they can't take you to court for is the Bible. So let me tell you, by the word, uh, just an interesting thing. Jack Hayford in the Spirit of Fear Life Bible makes this comment over the word from Strong's, the definition in Greek of the word heresy. Do you know what it comes from? It comes from the phrase to have an opinion. Whenever you exalt your opinion, well, I think the Bible says, we don't care. I don't care what Jonathan Conrad thinks the Bible says. The Bible must be his own interpreter. What does Scripture say? There is a danger in our generation. There is a moving away from the Word and, and ultimate absolute values of Scripture. And if we fail to receive the love of the truth, Paul the Apostle said the great, again, the greatest danger for the end time church. And Jesus said it, beware 
of deception. Many will be deceived. It was the number one mark, danger for his own disciples. He said that to the 12 when he was instructing them about the end. Brothers and sisters, we've got to take a clear stand for the sake of the generations to come. We've got to come back to Scripture. We've got to be clear and we've got to clean up house. Can I just say this in the most loving way I possibly can? In the kindest way I possibly can. It's time to get your house in order. Your house, your marriage, your family, your church. It really is time because revival is right on the doorstep. It really is. And I know it's easy to say that. But it really is right on the doorstep. We've seen thousands and thousands and thousands being saved not during the pandemic, not just on the media, but on the streets of our country. I reckon at least a 50% upgrade in numbers of people getting saved on the streets to what we normally had. When, ju when the judgments of God are in the earth, men learn righteousness. Now, however you view it, however you view the pandemic, whether you view it as the judgment of God, and don't tell me he doesn't send plagues, the whole of the Bible says he does. We know he's our healer. Of course he is. But however you view it, the Bible says towards the end there will be increasing judgments in the earth that are intended to wake people up. But my Bible says that mankind will, re will refuse still to repent of their sorceries and immorality and rebellion and they will raise the fist against God that will bring on more judgments to wake them up towards the end. The intention is discipline to wake up because there's coming a final judgment when there will be no escape. It's mercy and judgment side by side. And it's coming. Uh, sometimes it's going to be incredible outpourings of the Holy Spirit. I don't know your end time theology, but my Bible doesn't tell me we're going to take over everything. He will when he comes. <laughs> But there will be the wheat and the tares. And I just want to say, God is looking for people who are prepared and ready. So let me just fast forward because time is fast running out. In both ways. <laughs> let everyone who calls on the name of Christ depart from iniquity. Please let's stop relating to immorality, pornography, sin as being something. Well, we all have our struggles. We know we struggle. The shock factor has gone. I, when I was 19 years old, I remember being at, uh, being at a mission with Don where we had somebody come along, a famous Christian, come along who had actually been a famous guy on TV, had an amazing testimony. The place was packed. Everybody was there. And everybody was just drinking and everything he was sharing. And then he talked about, he, with his wife standing there, he very humbly then said to everybody, I've had, I had a major problem with pornography that nearly totally destroyed my marriage. And there was an audible <gasps> in the congregation. <coughs> Today, somebody says that, and it's just, another one. Just, well, it's just, a, I used to think it's just a guy problem. It's about 93% is the statistics from people like the Naked Truth who go around teaching on this. It's now 80%, 86% women as well. And it's chronic. It's absolutely chronic. And it's preparing the heart. It's Jezebel, ultimately. But what I'm saying is, we have, I'm kind of putting the comparison between 
nearly 30 years ago. And now, it's the frog in the water. And there needs to be a fresh returning to preaching on holiness. That I know we are, none of us can live a holy life without the grace of God. We need his acceptance, his love, his forgiveness. And, but do remember the grace is not just a word of pardon, but of power. It's given to us not only for our forgiveness, but for the transformation of our character into Christ-likeness, which is the goal of the Christian life. Amen. There are a lot of things, guys, that are, that are promises, but are not intended. I'm going to say a couple of shocking things. I hope it's all right. But a couple of things that is really important that we, when we read Scripture, we see what the Bible tells us to do and what God says he will do. And that we don't mix that up. It tells us to be self-controlled. It tells us to put out of our lives the things that dishonor the Lord. That's our job. With the help of the Holy Spirit, of course, but he won't take over our will. It's our job to do that. Uh, he didn't say, go into all the world. Now, this is going to be really controversial. I, I know the heart of this church, so please don't be offended by me. <laughs> well, I'm about to say. But he did not say, go into all the world and pursue the presence, thinking that would bring revival. He said, go into all the world and preach the gospel. But then as they went, he worked with them, didn't he? Confirming the word with signs following. He said, when you gather together in my name, I am there amongst you. The pursuit was not the presence. As you agree in prayer together, two or three gather together, I am there. The, the manifestation of presence was a promise. But the command was to gather. Our eyes need to be on Jesus. But here's the thing. Go into all the, preach the, in the world and preach the gospel. And these signs will follow. Why? Because I am with you always. So his presence is there in obedience as we go with the gospel. And go and make disciples. Make disciples, he said. I think we have a problem in our church at the moment. Talking about the UK as a whole. We have such an emphasis on leadership that we have leaders who are not such good disciples. And when that happens, we start getting all the failures and all the problems. Because actually, we've got to be followers before we're leaders. And we must never stop being followers. We are lifelong learners. To borrow something from the secular world. <laughs> in the kingdom of God. We're disciples and we're called to be making disciples. Nowhere in the scriptures does it say go into all the world and plant churches. He says go into all the world and make disciples. And when disciples gather... That is church. And you raise up fathers and mothers in the house to look after them and take some leadership amongst them who demonstrate maturity and call and giftedness. But tragically, because this, we have this massive thing about leadership. I, can, oh dear, dear. can I tell you something that happened to me back in the autumn? I had a leader of a certain movement that shall remain nameless. It's a, one of the largest movements in our country. They have a great Bible college. No guessing. <laughs> no guessing. All right, just take down that stronghold in your thinking. <laughs> Don't allow it in. Don't take the thought, all right? But here's the thing. One of their leaders who had just been put into leadership in a church that had systematically emptied through the years through lack of evangelism and outreach and discipleship, is now left because their focus was primarily on what goes on within the four walls. And I always say to pastors, never gauge the hunger for God in your community by who comes through your doors. Yeah. 
That is a mistake, a major mistake. Loads of people have got a world of time for Jesus, but not for the church. And they've got to encounter Jesus out there before they will ever come into a church. There's always a go before there's a come. So here's the thing, is that um, because they hadn't gone, what happened is they shrunk and shrunk and shrunk until they just had about eight, nine old people in the church. He then was put in to take on this church and to do the building up and everything else and to start reaching and rebuild, basically almost replant the church. He phones me up, comes to see me, never met him before. We have a meal together. He says, John, would you just, can you bring some evangelists and help us to build? I, then I just asked him, I said, look, um, I said, I will, that's what we do. I said, but can I ask you a question? You're part of a apostolic movement. I said, with so that you don't guess, hundreds of churches <laughs> with a great Bible college with lots of young people. Haven't you asked them to send you a team? They said, well, I have, but they won't come. No one will come. I said, no one will come? Well, how are the young guys then going to cut their teeth on, on leadership? How are they going to make disciples? How are they going to learn to do that? And suddenly, as we begin to talk, what becomes evident is that because there's such a leadership culture now in a tractional church, the generation coming up are looking for the platform. They're not looking for the call, the commission, the discipleship, where you start here. And actually, can I say, although you may be ministering here, you always stay here in your heart attitude. But none of the guys were willing to come and serve the churches. We are really in danger if we don't change this quickly. Discipleship is the missing element in most of our churches right now. We're not mentoring people. And the next generation, we need to come back to that. And we need to make sure that we are living the life. Look at this. It goes on. In a large house, there are not only gold and silver vessels, but also those of wood and clay. Some for honor, some for dishonor. One who cleanses himself from these things. What? The things that cause dishonor. The one who cleanses himself from these things will be a vessel for honor. The degree to which God will use us and trust us to be vessels for honor is determined by whether or not we get rid of the things that cause dishonor. Sanctified, that means made holy, set apart for holy use, fit for the master's use, and prepared for every good work. So then what he does, now remember he's writing to a guy who, actually the Bible refers to him as being an apostle in his own right, Timothy. And then he goes on and says, so... Flee youthful desires and pursue righteousness, faith, love and peace with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Avoid foolish and unlearned debates knowing they create strife. The servant of the Lord must not quarrel but must be gentle towards all people, able to teach, patient in gentleness, instructing those in opposition. Perhaps God will grant them repentance. Amen. Brothers and sisters, God is calling us back as leaders first of all. I really believe it's time to look up and to align our life and our convictions, both biblical and moral, and our vision with Christ's. Matthew 28, the call to discipleship. Amen. 
And last of all, it's time to look out and to set our vision in faith, to proclaim it, to move forward. It is time to move forward. It really is. One of the great marks, of course, of leaders is that leaders lead. There always has to be a sensitivity, of course, to where our people are at. But at the same point as that, we have to start to take them forward. We have to put markers forward. We have to speak out the vision and we have to lead forward ourselves in it. It's absolutely fundamental we do that and we don't let the people determine the markers of our own leadership. That's really important. Otherwise, we end up being men pleasers. And as Paul said, if I was a men pleaser, I should not be a servant of Christ. Joshua chapter 1, verse 1 to 8. I'm not going to read it all. You know it. Be bold. Be strong. This is a time for boldness and courage to take the land. But this is Christ's original call. Let me read a couple of final scriptures. Here we are. I felt this so strongly as I was preparing for you. Look at this. This is Acts 20. This is the Apostle Paul's final, wow, his final statement to the Ephesian elders. All theologians say it is one of the most moving passages in the whole of the New Testament. After two years with them, as signs and wonders and breaking new ground and establishing the church, amazing, amazing stuff. And we find out this as he's just about to leave. He tells them about, so let's just read verse 18. When they came to him, he said to them, you know how I always lived among you from the first day I came to Asia, serving the Lord with all humility, with many tears and trials which befell me through the plots of the Jews. I did not keep from declaring what was beneficial to you and teaching you publicly and from house to house, testifying to both Jews and Greeks of repentance towards God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Now compelled by the Spirit, I am going to Jerusalem, not knowing what shall befall me there. Now look at these verses. Except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But none of these things deter me. Now look at this. How in the face of such challenging circumstances ahead of him, this is what he says keeps him going and keeps him focused. None of these things deter me, nor do I count my life to be of any value to myself, so that I may joyfully finish my course and the ministry which I have received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. I have a problem with apostles who do not have the testifying to the gospel of the grace of God, the cause of the gospel, and its accurate passing on to the next generation, and the equipping of the saints for it, I have a problem with apostles who don't make that a number one priority. Because for the New Testament apostles, it was numero uno. Not government. The gospel, the advance of the kingdom, the preservation of the message accurately down from generation to generation. The raising up of sons and daughters in the kingdom. It's so, so important. Jesus is calling us to lay down self-preservation. Yes. We cannot fulfill 
our cause and our call, the cause of Christ, the call of Christ, without dying to ourselves. I don't know about you, but I find that my flesh screams out sometimes. It didn't want to die. I've only been, in 34 years of ministry, I do a lot of things that I force myself to do. Lots. But I have only actually done two or three missions. In all those hundreds of missions through the years, I've only done two or three where my life was threatened, my wife and my children were threatened, and there were threatening people threatening to kill me or being in front of guns. I've only had that a few times. But in those times where I knew there was that possibility and I told my wife where the life insurance was and I prayed with her and I said, if I don't return, there's that, there's that, there's that. But I believe I will, but it's just, it's dodgy. It's dangerous, but I believe I have the word of the Spirit that I'll be all right and I'll return, but I must go. And something happened for me internally at that moment. I crossed a line internally. I can't describe, there's no other way of describing it, but something happened inside. And when I did, I entered a realm of anointing and a freedom that I don't normally live with. It's a, it just released me into a greater dimension. There is a grace and there's a power. But Jesus actually calls us to live the martyr's life. To live that, it is the original call, Mark, you know, Luke 9, 23. If anyone would be my disciple, let him deny himself. It's discipleship 101. Let him die to himself. A recent friend of mine called Steve Barber from Leicester, he was the primary church planner for the vineyard for years, helped him plant over 100 churches in this country. He was trained under John Wimber. He said to me, he said, do you know with John? He said, I can tell you. He said, when he had leaders who had problems with their morals or problems with issues or with compromise, you know, and, and stuff like this, he just looked at them and he would say, you just need to die, sucker. <laughs> that was, that's what he used to say. He'd just say to them, you need to die. He says, you want me to counsel you and pray for you? He says, but you still want to live. You still want a slice of the cake to keep for yourself. He says, you need to die. He says, all your problems would be over if you died to yourself. Satan has no hold on a dead man. Of course, we've died in Christ, but that's got to be applied in life, hasn't it? I don't want to sound uncompassionate. I just feel that the Lord is challenging us to this. If we want to finish our course with joy, we need to die to ourselves that we can run the course. What would you do if you didn't allow any other, any other concerns to keep you back from obedience to the call of Christ? What would you do? Laying aside the weights, laying aside the cares, laying aside the sins. This is what Jesus is calling us to. Come die, come live. Forget what's past. Embrace the heavenly call. Forgetting what's past. This is Philippians 3. I, I, I want to pray for you right now, but I just want to say this, that... Um, you know, years ago, I, I was never in the real army. I only did the army cadets. But I can remember sometimes in those days, we had to go and do some days with the real army. And, um, and we would do a 48-hour exercise with the real army. And 
I, I remember when we did, in those days they had to lift these incredibly heavy Lee-Enfield rifles. Anybody ever had to, do you remember those things? Incredibly heavy things. They're not like modern guns, you can just flick around like that, but these things are really heavy. And we were only 15, 16 years old, and we were really with all these big tough guys in the military. And they would take us for a three-mile run, and we'd have a backpack on our back, and we'd have these big guns like this. If my parents never knew what they would do to us, and I never told them because it didn't seem tough, you know. You weren't, but anyway, but they, these soldiers would come behind us with sticks, and if you know, out of tiredness, we started to go like this, you know, with a with a soldier. They would come behind us and whip our legs, you know. This this was in Surrey, you know. This was in <laughs> unbelievable. So. Anyhow, the thing about it is, so, uh, so I used to look around quickly, just check with the way, put it in, and then put it up again. <laughs> but, but, you know, I, the amazing thing was I will never forget the feeling when after those miles and all of that weight on me, when I would put the gun down and take the thing off. Oh, I felt like I could fly, like I could just run at 100 miles per hour. But that's what the writer to the Hebrews was talking about. Lay aside every weight and the sin that so easily. Because if we, if we allow sin to get a foothold, if a foothold can become a stronghold and then you're in trouble. So, you know, if you get knocked down, don't give up, but get up. Confess up. Get healed up and run forward. Amen? When elders sinned in the New Testament and fell into stuff, the Apostle Paul said to Timothy, rebuke them. Publicly, he didn't remove them, but he rebuked them. I guess if they wouldn't repent at all, he probably would have had to remove them. But but the gift and calling of God is still in there. It's irrevocable. But we need to be a good example to our people. And so I think the Lord right now is calling us to lay down our stuff. The worries, the concerns, if there's any guilt or shame here. If there are those of us here who actually have considered giving it all up, whether that's gone all the way in your mind to suicide or whether it's just giving up the ministry, wherever it is, Jesus wants to do something new in our lives today. This year is going to be an amazing year. It is going to be an amazing year. And the Lord wants you to be able to feel like you could fly to run forward in the cause of Christ. So, you know, it's very hard to see your people accelerating Christ if you're not running in the course of Christ. They won't need to see you running if they've got something worth following. Not just somebody says, well, we'll cheer you on. <laughs> there you go. You go and do it. No, no, no. Follow me, Paul said, as I follow Christ. Lifelong learners.